I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations, brought to you by Clayton Dubalier and Rice, supporting the people, ideas, and collaborations that build great businesses. By now, we know what went wrong in the response to the most devastating pandemic in a century. Mistakes were legion, and many of the world's biggest drug and vaccine makers were slow to react or couldn't muster effective responses. A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of the life-or-death race for a COVID-19 vaccine by award-winning Wall Street Journal reporter and best-selling author Greg Zuckerman is the untold story of what went right. It's a riveting business, science, and public sector chronicle of the scientists' epic sprint to create COVID-19 vaccines, fulfilling decades of unheralded yet revolutionary work on messenger RNA, virology, immunology, and more. Before my conversation with Greg, though, an ask from me to you. I hope you like these Working Capital Conversations. If so, I'd appreciate if you take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you. Here's my conversation with Greg Zuckerman. Greg, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. Oh, great to be here. So as I thought about your book in anticipation for reading it, the question I kept wondering, and you answer it a bit in the book, um, maybe you can describe it here, was when did you know? Obviously, there was no big story, is no bigger story than COVID. When did you know you wanted to write the story about the race for the vaccine? I think I'm going to say, when did I know it was actually going to be effective? So I wanted to write the story early on. Partly because I, I love the theme. I love that it was Moderna that was one of the companies leading the pack. Why Moderna specifically? So, so they're very unlikely to be our saviors. They're a company that people have been suspicious about for years, especially the CEO, Stefan Bansell. People accused him of being a uh, Elizabeth Holmes kind of character, misleading, exaggerating. Black um, turtlenecks. Black turtlenecks, exactly. And, you know, most people never heard of them. I, I hadn't heard of them before 2020. And that which people heard about wasn't very positive. And yet they were the ones that might step up and, and, and get a vaccine for all of us, uh, produce one that was effective and protective. I found that really, that dynamically kind of fascinating. So that was sort of early in 2020. I did a story for the Wall Street Journal about Moderna. And then I discovered these other companies that were just mm. as unlikely that were chasing a vaccine. Novavax, Novavax has been a loser for years, failure after failure after failure. And they were making good progress. BioNTech, who's ever heard of this company? Mines, Germany. So I love that theme. But um, I was going to say, I, I didn't know how effective the vaccines would be. The people on the inside were optimistic, but even they were floored before the data came out uh, later that year in 2020. Yeah. And the scene that you paint, I think if memory serves, was it November 8th that yeah, Pfizer yeah. got its news? And then I think Moderna got its news November 15th, if I'm remembering the dates right from, from your book. To your point about their not knowing what the results actually would be. I mean, I felt it. You know, you feel the emotion of those executives and scientists sitting in the boardroom, waiting, waiting, waiting. Do you have the results? Do you have the results from the trials? And then euphoria. I mean, I, I hate to skip to the end of the book at the beginning of the conversation, but I, I guess we do know the punchline. It's one of these things where the reader, I knew the reader would know the results as well. And yet it was important for me to convey that drama because there, there was a lot of drama, like you said. Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah it, there's one thing, you know, 
50, 60% effectiveness, 70% to get 95% just floored the, the scientists themselves. And they were on pins and needles, as you say. And I tried to convey that because we could all imagine what it was like. I mean, it wasn't just, it, 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 there was so much at stake. There was their own, all their efforts. There was their company's future. I mean, Moderna blows this and everyone's skeptical of everything about them. And, and there's just our, our lives and in this pandemic. And if they failed, then who knows what would have happened? So there was a lot at stake there. Yeah. Oh, everyone betting the companies. Um, to pick up on that point and you, what you raised just a moment ago, Moderna and, and Bensel and the reputation that they and most particularly he had. BioNTech, no one knows. Was that on some level the key? Did it matter? Was it required that it was companies that had the ability or the requirement to take a long shot? Did it require long shot companies to make something like this happen that quickly? What was the why? I think it's a, that's a good question. I, I think it did. Because um, if you look at who went all out for these vaccines and who didn't, yeah. those who didn't is, much, is just as instructive and interesting to me. Uh, companies like Merck, the, the, he's a, Merck's a vaccine giant. I mean, to create the MMR vaccine that we all give our kids, measles, mumps, rubella, Sanofi, GSK. They're the guys who should have stepped up. And yeah, like you said, maybe they had more to lose. And and, and part of the reason I I go back in history and I start off with HIV and the chase for HIV, because it's really, there's a lot of parallel there and a lot of lessons. And there too, the the big guys often didn't want to chase HIV. There's more downside than upside. Vaccines are just not a very sexy business or they weren't until this past year. So yeah, maybe it took a Moderna or BioNTech or Novavax to, to, to chase this new uh, vaccine for the new pandemic, the new virus. The line that kept coming into my mind was when you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Yeah. Although, although Moderna, like had they blown it, I mean, it, it had this not worked. They had a lot to lose, frankly. Well, they so they had, had maybe come, more- Yes. Okay. It was unfair, but you know, I got this sense. I mean, that the, that's part of the tension, part of the drama that for me came across in the storytelling was the outsider role. Some of them, you know, bad boys is too strong, but just the, the personalities of, of the companies and the individuals. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Two of the key characters, really interesting characters, the CEO of Moderna, uh, Stefan Bensel, as you've said, and the co-founder of BioNTech, Igor Sahin. Tell me about the two of them. Sure. They're fascinating. And, um, you know, in some ways, whether they accomplished anything or not, they're interesting and worth learning about, in in my view anyway. So Sahin is a cancer researcher, not an infectious disease specialist. And he spent his years, his life, that was his goal to, to fight cancer, create a vaccine for cancer. And he never really has got there. He's still focused on it. Still is it still optimistic? But he's just an interesting guy. He's a, he's all about science. Lives in a little apartment. Bikes to work. Doesn't own a car. Doesn't own a television. Lugs scientific papers on vacation with his wife, and um, even a computer. Computers come with him on their vacation. So he's all about the science. Mm. And his people are, in, in some ways, um, modeled after him. And. Ben Sell at Moderna is, is not a scientist. He's a, C, he's a Harvard MBA engineer, and he's a hard-driving guy and an inspirational guy as well. But um, he has high expectations for his people. And early on, it was difficult for them. People were literally collapsing at their desk, collapsing in the parking lot. 
um, of, of Moderna um, at home, hitting their heads, going to the hospital, trying to keep up with this guy. And, you know, there was a reason he was pushing hard. He, he had a vision. And to his credit, he, he was right in the end. MRNA could change the world. That's what his view was. You touched on another point that I really wanted to ask you about, which was the history, because you spend a lot of time in the book on the history. And first, I mean, how would you, when you describe to friends, you know, what you're writing, obviously in the race for the vaccine, but in your mind, is it a science book? Is it a business book? Is it a history book? Is it an adventure book? Because I felt all of those. Yeah, I aimed it to be all those. So I always feel with a lot of my, with most of my books, there are two audiences. There's the general audience. And I kind of think of my wife who's doesn't know much about science. And I didn't really, before I started my research also, frankly, and the scientists themselves. And mm. you, you want it to be um, entertaining for everyone, but also, frankly, um, educational. And, and my approach is always a, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, meaning these are really complex issues we're talking about. Biology in my other books, it's, you know, math and science also sometimes, Private but it's got to be entertaining. There's no way you want to invest the time in reading a book, you know, you're spending the money. I, I want to entertain you too. So there are ways to do it together. And I've heard a lot from the scientific community. They're like, we didn't know this history. You, you could be a, a top scientist, biologist, virologist, but you don't know the history of how these even approaches. That's kind of what, what I'm hoping to give you. And all that drama along the way, there's a lot of drama. Did they know the cowpox smallpox story even that they didn't know the full story so tell me now just for any of the listeners who aren't aware you really draw that through line from smallpox and cowpox and polio and hiv as you mentioned you know that's that's the through line of the history so just quickly the smallpox cowpox story sure well just just taking a step back quickly i mean what is a vaccine a vaccine is an education for the new system. And historically, there's been a traditional way, a conventional way of, of doing, of doing, producing those. And everything has changed lately with these new approaches that I write about in my book. And yeah, in terms of um, cowpox, um, and there was a, uh, um, a man named Edward Jesty in England who had a, um, a, a woman working for him who seemed- a dairy maid, yes. A dairyman, right, exactly, who seemed like she was um, uh, inocu- inoculated somehow against smallpox. And it turns out that um, she had some experience um, with a, a version, a, a lesser type of, uh, of, of pathogen, uh, sim- similar, though, a cousin to smallpox. Um, and he put two and two together and he started uh, injecting his own family with small smallpox which was unheard of at the time and people around in in his area were scared they thought he was going to um get them sick and also kind of put horns on them that was this whole fear about don't ask me why horns um and it turns out they were fine and he didn't really write down his results or publicize them so he didn't doesn't really get the credit but that's the first vaccine and then throughout history that was kind of the idea you put what we call the killed or an attenuated version, or that means weakened version of the actual virus in you. But when it came to HIV, it was too dangerous to put HIV in you. So we had to come up with new approaches. And I really start off with HIV in a lot of ways, because that's how these some of these new approaches began. So this um, the J&J COVID vaccine today, as well as the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine, they both evolved from something called an adenovirus, which is use it, using an av- a virus 
uh, a weakened, a harmless virus, I should say, a harmless virus to shepherd genetic message into the body to create something. And in this case, it's the, the, the coronavirus, the, um, the spike protein, you create, usually you create a protein. Anyway, mm-hmm. so it's a new approach now to vaccines. We don't put in, uh, when it comes to mRNA or this adenovirus approach that's created all these vaccines that are existing right now for COVID, we don't actually put the, the, the virus itself in you. So I try to give you a little history about the evolution of these approaches and how revolutionary these new ones are. Which also made me think, many of us think about the vaccine, the COVID vaccine that was created. We hear political leaders, business leaders talk about it. It was a miracle. It was a one-year miracle, never before in history. And you you mentioned, I think it was uh, mumps, right? The mumps vaccine, you write, was the fastest ever developed. And, and that took, in your words, a long four years. And yet, as I read your book, it made me think about it differently that in a way, it kind of wasn't a one-year vaccine. It was a 20-year vaccine or a 40-year vaccine. Is that fair? Or what it is, is it's every vaccine starts with a base of historical knowledge. You know, when the clock really should start ticking is when you start working on the new virus or the new uh, thing that you're trying to create the vaccine for. No, I think it's a very fair point. It's, It's actually one that I hope people take, especially vaccine wary people, a take from mm. my book. Um, I've gone on Fox a few times so far. It's on Fox radio. And part of my goal is I'm not here to tell people what to do, but you can't not come away from my book um, um, th- thinking y- there's no way you can come to the conclusion that it was a fast vaccine, that it was rushed. It was hard in any way. As you say, these approaches literally took decades to get right, to hone, yeah. to improve. So one should be reassured. Now, had they ever created a coronavirus vaccine? Well, well, they had actually, but not not for this coronavirus. Obviously, it was a new virus, so there's no way they could have had this a virus a vaccine for this virus done before 2020. So that was extraordinarily fast, the fastest ever. But yes, these approaches were honed over years, and it should be reassuring for people. And the global aspect. You know, that, that's been talked about, but it also becomes very clear. The French executive, you know, the Turkish head of BioNTech, US folks, British, global disease, global set of, uh, you know, to exaggerate the point, superheroes fighting the disease. How did you feel about the global nature of the effort? Was that kind of part of? what made it possible? Meaning, did you need kind of a global perspective or did it just work out that way? Um, I don't know if we needed it, but I think it's an important theme that University of Oxford scientists, these scientists in Germany and mines uh, Germany that I write about, BioNTech, yeah. um, these, a lot of immigrants, a lot of them, even the, the scientists in America are, and the executives too are immigrants. Albert Borla, CEO of Pfizer, CEO of Moderna, as you say, um, Stefan Bensel, uh, immigrant from France. Um, it's a very American story in that it's a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of risk taking investors took enormous risks. We could have done this, these vaccines without American support. There's no way none of these vaccines could have been done. Um, they all got money from American investors, American bodies. Um, but, um, yeah, it's global nature. It's a global, obviously, um, illness, um, virus. And increasingly we're in the age of these kind of things. So it will take global efforts to, to stop the next one as well.
You just mentioned the investment aspect. That's also one of the tensions. I mean, there's so much in the book. That's why I was asking, you know, business book, history book, science book. Your day job is with the Wall Street Journal. You've written books about business, about uh, private equity. It's a whole part of the world that you come into this endeavor understanding incredibly well. I felt tension in some of what you were describing around these healthcare executives needing to search for VC money, the pressure that they would feel, you know, some of the stocks were down after the IPOs. You know, now I'm forgetting the exact circumstance. I think was it in the HIV section where it was the leader of the company who kind of turned off some of the U.S. government officials because oh yeah, was, microgenesis yeah yeah is, yeah what it, yeah I forget the exact yeah that that was the one and did you mean for me to take away that sense of the tension between the investment component and the healthcare component is that something that you see always in this type of activity or did you kind of learn something different or see it differently by doing this research? Well, one thing that just um, struck me doing the research. When you talk to scientists, and this could be academics, could be government scientists, and obviously um, private industry, it's all about the money. And I don't mean the upside in getting rich, although that's in the back of the minds of some of these people. Mm. It's just raising money and getting money for your lab and propose, getting pro- grant proposals. It, there's such financial pressure that I hadn't been conscious of enough. And these startups obviously have to keep raising money. And so, so yeah, it's a, it's a finance book to me as much as it is a, a book about science. And frankly, this is, these vaccines are modern science's greatest achievement, but they're also, I think, modern finance's greatest achievement. I mean, mm-hmm. I write about in May, 2020, how no one was there to help Moderna. The government, this is before Warp Speed wrote any checks to Moderna, the government wasn't there. Merck didn't want to work with Moderna. Um, the Gates Foundation blew them off. And Ben Sell and Moderna had to turn to Wall Street. They turned to Morgan Stanley specifically, and they wrote a $1.2 billion check. And that they were they were despondent before that money. They thought, they, they thought they were running out of cash. They couldn't build these vaccines. So, yeah, um, it's a financial achievement as well. How much luck was involved? Well, I think we as a people don't realize, don't appreciate how lucky we are in that the methods were pretty much there going into 2020. They didn't know they had um, an approach, both mRNA and adenovirus, that would lead to such effective vaccines. But they thought so. They were pretty confident. But had this virus evolved, emerged 2017, 2016, just a few years ago, it would have been such a different story. I don't think we, we appreciate how lucky we are, uh, mankind is. Yeah. Um, I was able to talk uh, several months ago with Walter Isaacson, who blurbed your book, but also about his book and uh, on Jennifer Doudna. And yes, I think that whether it's CRISPR or mRNA, the, the advances, the biotech advances, and you know what they mean on the business front, the health front, the science front is extraordinary. What are the major long-term takeaways that you note, and you, you were just talking about it a moment ago in uh, Project Warp Speed and Moderna, is that this approach could offer a model for society showing how private-public partnerships can and should work. It's you know one of the one of the items or themes that that you touch on, Greg. I want to believe that, and my pushback, my question would be, 
this was a crisis for humanity. The world had shut down. Um, it's like we were, you know, invaded by aliens. So everyone came together. Do you believe that the lessons can be applied, will be applied to normal times? Oh, when I say it's a lesson, I don't necessarily mean we've learned the lesson. It's a lesson <laughs> we should be learning. Uh, I'm skeptical. Mm, I mean, listen, okay, okay. E- even historically, you know, they had the Marshall Plan or Manhattan Project, but y- y- it's hard to, to apply that approach elsewhere. This is on par with that kind of thing. And yeah, given how divided our nation is to come together for anything at all, I mean, this you would have thought that we would come together for a few years or so, given the pandemic and what we've had to deal with. But it was maybe a few weeks or a month at most. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm skeptical. Listen, I, I, I was one of the people that said once these things are authorized, these vaccines are approved for sure. Everyone would embrace them. Who, who wouldn't want to get back? So I'm kind of naive when that kind of stuff. So when I write it's a lesson, I'm not sure it's one that we've fully learned. What's next? Do you feel did when when you think about you know what some of the lessons? I, I understand that you, we were just talking about the private uh, public partnership lessons, but the role for mRNA, the role for private investment, the partnerships on the biotech side between you know those outsiders and the established players. Any of those components that that you saw that you think create a new paradigm or or if you were going to write a, a follow-up on this theme anything that uh, that strikes you as you know important going forward so as part of my research for my book i've talked to and i continue to talk to all kinds of scientists researchers within a lot of these companies biontech moderna etc and i've been reassured that they're not sitting back and, and counting their cash they're redeploying it um in in areas that um a revolutionary potentially cancer, um, HIV, um, autoimmune disease. Instead of turning on the immune system, maybe we can turn it off when we need to. Mm. Um, there are other viruses that need to be taken care of that I think they're going to make good progress on RSV, CFV. There, there, there are a few. Not, so you could look back on this era, believe it or not, and see it as a a lot of good came from it. If they take all that money and they hone these approaches and they um, make uh, advances, um, make headway on, on cancer and those kinds of things, how remarkable. In some ways, this could be the beginning of a, a new era. Now, I, I don't want to get overly co- confident about that or optimistic just because historically, as I write in my book, um, mRNA has only hasn't really worked with drugs. It's only worked with this one vaccine so far. I think it'll work with other vaccines. I think it'll actually work for a heart drug. They're working on VEGF, but there are challenges ahead. But I have to tell you, Uber Sahin, the, the quirky, interesting scientist who runs Biontech, um, Stefan Bansell, all their people, they're a really hard driving lot and, and they're not sitting back or anything. So I, I'm eager to see what they have, what, what's in store in the next few years. I am as well. And thank you. You outlined it's just a, a terrific narrative and story and adventure, business, science, and it all came together. And as you said, even though I knew the punchline, um, I still felt that emotion when we got there. I mean, that, you know, the popping of the champagne on November 8th, I guess, 2020, 
Sunday afternoon in the fight, you know, in, in Connecticut. I mean, you paint a scene and you know the punchline, but you don't know what that feels like until at least I didn't until I read your book. I, I personally, I don't know if you remember the scene, but I, I remember at the beginning there, the, I, I, I was kind of sweating when I heard it myself when he's described this is Stephen Hogue. He's looking, he's on the Zoom and he's looking at the faces before he has the results. But during his results aren't out yet. He's waiting for results. And he's just, and I can see, because I would be like that too. You're looking at their faces. You try to read into their expressions. Are they looking happy? Are they looking disappointed? Are they, well, what is that look? And and I can kind of, and yeah, he momentarily he was going to get the results, but he, he wanted to know as soon as he could. So I felt that tension myself. So I wanted to convey that to uh, the, some of the drama to the readers of the book. So uh, hopefully that was successful. <laughs> yeah, it, it sure was. The other point that hit me from reading about you a little bit, I think you're a sports fan too. As 2020 was progressing and I was reading, you know, reading your tell your TikTok on Pfizer's ahead, Moderna's ahead. I had this image of, you know, the train races, whether at Yankee Stadium or or wherever. And, you know, like the six train is ahead, but then it's the four train. It it felt yeah, that was yeah. the image that That's a good image, yeah. Yeah, that was going through my, my right. Oxford in the lead and then yeah. they stumble. It's more like I felt like it's the whole thing's of a, of, a, of a relay race. The science along the way, even with mRNA, one lab and one scientist makes progress. He stumbles and fails, passes it to another woman. She makes some progress, then then fails. I, I saw it a little bit of like a of a, a relay race. Yeah. Thank you, and thanks for uh, taking the time to discuss it. Sure, great chat. With you.